thing. Um, Proverbs, here's their proverb of the day, verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. My parents tried to teach me that for many, many years. So as we get into your word today, Lord, we, um, we seek your highest and your best. Lord, we know that this is the one thing that you honor even above your name, your word. So God, in the next few minutes, help us to discern, Lord, and to, to learn and be shaped by your word and whatever is just chaff, let it blow away. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we've been in a uh, series um, I, I've been, I've called Conversation with God. This is really about prayer. It's really about having an ongoing, always talking to the Lord throughout your day, not by getting down on your knees necessarily. Sometimes, yes, but most of the time, it's just this ongoing dialogue. It's this relationship that you have with the Lord, a conversation with God. And we've been studying a lot of passages that were Jesus' teachings, um, some yes and some not. Today, we're going to be in James and... Um, in case you don't know who James is, James was, uh, there are five different Jameses listed in the New Testament. Two of them were disciples. This one happens to be the brother of Jesus. And if you um, aren't uh, up on your uh, disciples and who they are, um, he didn't, was not a believer during the time of Jesus' lifetime on the earth. And then Jesus appeared to him after he was resurrected. And that got his brother's attention. Amazing, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and uh, eventually James became um, one of the primary leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Anyway, he's the author of this book we call James, and um, so we're going to be in the book of James today, in chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Let's just jump right in there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. By the way, prayers are going to be listed, mentioned in every one of the verses in this passage. This theme, this, the theme of this paragraph is prayer, prayer, prayer. Okay. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, which we're going to do at the end of the service in a very special, different way than we normally do. Um, Verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So today we're going to talk about what to pray about. Now, we've been through a lot of material, you know, when the Lord doesn't hear our prayers. We've been talking about a lot of things. This, this uh, series is now headed towards its conclusion over the next couple of weeks, and we're down finally to the meat of this, the uh, what to pray about kind of stuff. And we're going to start right here, right off the top. Pray for emotional health. This starts out right, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That, um, that question obviously is rhetorical. Would you get that? I mean, because... A rhetorical, something is rhetorical when the answer is obvious, right? So, um, did we have some snow in February, right? Okay, obviously, yes. Are the Mariners going to win the World Series this fall? Of course not. I mean, mean. (laughs) it's a rhetorical question. Oh, man, I I should feel guilty about it. Okay, anyway, so is anyone among you suffering? Mariners fans. <laughs> no. But the question is, is anyone here suffering? Is so, it's so obvious. It's a rhetorical question. And um, 
This word suffering is, uh, the word used for suffering in this passage is only used three other times in the New Testament. Um, the other two times are in 2 Timothy. And it's not talking about physical pain. This suffering has, not, it has to do with enduring treatment by other people. Enduring evil treatment that other people are putting upon you. That's what, is anyone among you suffering? That's what this is talking about. These Christians that James was writing to, um, it, it starts, if you back up to James 1, 1, he, it says, to the 12 um, tribes scattered abroad. So he's basically talking to a whole bunch of Christians who had fled Jerusalem, had taken off under the persecution that happened because they followed Jesus. So they're scattered all over the countryside, and they're being persecuted. They're a long ways from family. They're a long ways from home. They're a long ways from everything familiar. And they were suffering because of their faith in Christ. Is anyone among you suffering? And, of course, notice the answer is, let him pray. Okay. I'm suffering. I should pray. What should I pray about? Okay. You go and you, got, you, you, go and you talk to God about how hard things are, how hurt you are, maybe how, how grieved you are, and you just pour out your, pour out your heart to God. Scripture, um, the scripture tense. I mean, when you when you do what I do, and you stand and start taking it apart and look at it, the tense here is is called the the present imperative. It's an ongoing command. This isn't you do once and okay, check mark. I'm done with this. It means keep on praying about this, the the evil treatment from people that you're suffering through. Just keep on talking about that. But instead of just grieving and striving and working out a fleshly result resolution, you know, we're learning to lean here on Jesus. And obviously the point here is, you know, the thing that we lean on when we're experiencing this kind of suffering, evil treatment from people, is we lean on Jesus. And maybe you're wondering, okay, and, and you're saying, okay, well, Terry, that's fine. How did you make the leap to pray for emotional healing? Okay, so he, he's going to go into both extremes here. Look at the next verse, verse 13. It says, is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So it goes from suffering to cheerful. It's this gamut of emotions. And uh, here's James. It's this, these emotional extremes. And, he, and, and, and it is, is anyone cheerful doesn't just mean you've you got this lighthearted moment and an easygoing moment. This is, this is talking about someone who has a positive hopeful outlook. Their attitude is continually a smile. There's a smile coming on all the time. And it means this joyful sense of, of, of peace and sense because of the, the riches that we have in Christ. It's just this, is anyone cheerful? It says, let him sing praise. That's what, a, that's what praise is. It's a prayer put to music. This um, is this positive, cheerful, thankful, grateful, all of that packed into a song. I hope that's what you were doing a little while ago, praising. It's a prayer. If you have ever said to yourself, well, I've never prayed for 20 minutes straight. Yeah, you just did this morning. <laughs> that's what that is. That is just a form of lead prayer. And um, the, the, our purpose isn't to get you to sing songs. Our purpose is to get you engaged corporately and individually in worshiping and praying to the Lord and declaring his goodness. It, that's, what, that's what worship is. It's for us in the morning. And this word here, you know, I'm taking stuff apart. This word here for sing praise, it literally means to touch or twang. That surprised me when I looked it up. Okay, so here's what it meant. It meant for you guitar players, it, the, the point here is a stringed instrument, to pluck or touch or twang. So if anyone's among, among you cheerful, get out the banjo. 
That's what it's saying. Everybody got a banjo here, right? Does anybody here have own a banjo and can admit it? Outstanding. So <laughs> if anyone's cheerful, get out, I mean, your, your stringed instrument and pluck it. And that's, it started out that way. And over time, it, it became to be uh, understood to mean the harp or to actually sing words, put words to the music. It, it's what we do. We sing and we praise. And so here's where this first passage is going with us. Here's the, the, the foundation that's being laid. And I'm, I'm going to put this up for you, this sentence up for you, and I just want this to get into your souls. In suffering and in celebration, your choice to pray and to praise has immediate and lasting rewards in your emotional health. That's a lot. It's a long sentence. It's going to go through that one more time. In suffering and celebration, your choice to pray and praise has immediate and lasting rewards in your emotional health. These rhetorical questions, anybody suffering? Of course. There are people suffering. And anybody cheerful? Of course. There's people cheerful. And us choosing to connect both of those things directly to God regularly and faithfully is a huge part of your emotional health. Do you do that? It's going to be rewarded. Well, reward. That sounds good. Is it like an ice cream card? What kind of reward? Here's some, a quick overview of what those rewards are. Five rewards that you'll experience. Number one, relief. If you're suffering and you pray, if you're cheerful and you praise, you're going to experience relief. You know, if, if you've got some burden, that burden is going to get answered in God's time. And then it's going to be gone. When the Lord lifts a burden... It's not like it's gone for 10 minutes and comes back. It's gone, gone. Lifted, lifted. The weight is gone. Another reward would be joy. I'm going to go fast through these. Another reward would be peace. And then because life's not perfect, another reward is you're going to experience greater faith. Okay? I mean, your greater faith is going to cause you to think differently um, about future burdens. And, and then the last of the five rewards that I've got here is confidence. You know, I've been through this before. I, I, I've, I, I know when I pray, and I know when I give it to God, I've seen him at work, I know what happens. I'm hurting now, but I know where this is going. Confidence. Awesome things happen in the life of a Christian who is praying and praising their way through their circumstances. You know, emotional health, relief, joy, peace, faith, confidence. Paul and Silas, and I'm not going to take us there right now, but they are, there's a great example of this in Acts, uh, I think chapter 16. They're in jail and prayer and prayer, praise. Great story. Good one for you to look up you know, today or tomorrow or sometime for your devotion um, and, and take a look at this. Okay, so, and when it comes to, and when we're talking about praying and praising about, I, I mentioned before a burden. I, thought, I was thinking about that, some, that a bit. Here's four things about praying for a burden. Tell God how you feel. Don't just tell him what's going on, although it's okay to do that. And by the way, when you pray to God, is there anything you're telling him he doesn't already know? No. So, okay, so don't say, well, he already knows that. Why would you tell? Okay, everything you would pray to God, he already knows. So, so, so I'm, I'm saying it's okay to tell him what's going on, but I'm saying do tell him how you feel. You know, when you are close to someone and you open your heart up to them, it's important for you to know that they get it how you feel. Did you follow me with that? So tell God how you feel. Tell him how you feel. Number, th number two, ask him to search your heart. Why do I feel this way, God? Is, is, is there some 
maybe some unresolved sin? Or is there something going on in my heart? Is there something that needs to change inside here, Lord? Ask him to search your heart. By the way, if you ask God to search your heart, he will. <laughs> it's really healthy to do. Lord, show me about my heart. And um, that's a great prayer. But sit down when you pray that, you know, and just be alone for a while because the Lord will answer that prayer. Um, tell me about my heart. And then, you know, tell him how you feel. Have him search your heart. And then as you turn your heart towards God, count your blessings. Remember, you're praying here about a burden. Count your blessings. Thank him for the ways that he's already shown himself strong in your life. Count your blessings. And then number four, read a psalm of praise and thanksgiving and then ask the Lord to carry your burden. Lord, would you do this? Scripture says that your yoke is easy, your, your burden is light. Would you just yoke and take the weight of this, Lord? Just, just do that. So that's, that's the first category in this passage, pray for emotional health. Second category is pray for physical health. And um, Amy, we're going to be on this one for a while, so leave the slide up for you, for, for, would you, if you wouldn't mind. So this is, a, this, is a, this is a passage, important passage, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Now this word sick, this particular word translated as sick is, is 18 times in, um, in the uh, New Testament and it, is, is, it relates to physical sickness, physically sick. Sadly, there are some people who would teach differently. They would say that this is, you know, the people, these people, some teachers have a, an anti-supernatural viewpoint. A, a, um, uh, they, they, say, they would say, God doesn't do miracles anymore, okay? I don't agree with any of that. But they would teach that this isn't about physical healing. And I don't really want to pack this with too many cotton balls, so I want to just say, they're wrong, okay? <laughs> this is about physical healing. And you have to really torture this passage for it not to be about physical healing. In fact, the next scripture, the next verse, it says the Lord will raise him up. It's a physical result, Okay, I mean, there's a lot, a lot going on here, but this is 100% for sure about physical healing. Okay, so is anyone among you sick? Yeah, yeah, I'm sick. What should I do? You know, I just got some scary news, terrible test results, you know, or I've been feeling terrible for a long time. I don't really know what's going on here. What should I do? No. Let him call for the elders of the church. So a question I want to ask you right now is, who makes that call? Is it the elders that makes the call or the sick person? The sick person, okay. You know, the sick person makes the call. How come nobody comes and prays for me? You make the call. Call. They don't know. They don't. Believe me, I promise. They don't know. You know, you make the call. If anyone is sick, let, let him call for the elders of the church. Now, just, just to put this in, into uh, to context, this is probably not for the common called, common cold, not for a scratchy throat. It's not for hair loss. <laughs> well, um, and notice that it says elders, plural. Okay, and I'm not going to go too far on the teaching of what elders are. Um, I know many churches have appointed elders. We don't have that here. Um, there are elders here, but we don't name them as elders. And, and in, this, in the context of this passage, I think elders can be any of the leaders, the, the trusted leaders to whom you've placed yourself under their spiritual covering. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, and and the, the, the prayer is not location-specific. It doesn't say that it's got to be at your home. It doesn't say it, 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 it could be, a, be at the church. It could be at the coffee shop. It could be any place that makes sense. It says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. 
They're coming to pray. They're, they're, that's the main point of the sentence. The purpose for coming is not to anoint with oil, although they'll do that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The, the, the purpose for coming is not because they're going to heal you, although we'll pray for that. Their purpose for coming in this scripture is to pray, to ask God to do what only God can do. And the purpose in this context is to come collectively under the authority of your church for prayer. Now, let's rabbit trail on that for just a minute. Um, don't, don't, you don't hear that taught a whole lot, the authority of the church. Um, it's all through scripture. And um, I think it's a fairly unpopular topic in our culture. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm now old enough that I was a teenager in the late 60s, early 70s. And at that point, the mantra of our culture was, you know, stick it to the man. You know, whatever it was, whatever the establishment was, whatever was the system, the organization, the, the government, all of it, don't submit to it. Can't trust them, don't submit to it. And there's, I suppose, a lot of cultural reasons that happened, a lot of, of political reasons that happened. There was a Vietnam War and all that kind of stuff. But I want to submit to you that it was more engineered spiritually than in any other way. Because in that time, I watched this happen, and I've seen it over the years. I've watched a generalized decreasing trust in institutions of authority and covering that, that have been trusted in um, Western culture for centuries. I've watched that trust erode. Now, to some degree, rightly so. You see institutions that in the past were, were trusted and then you find out something's going on and someone at the top or near the top was completely not deserving of trust, right? You know what I'm talking about, including churches. And so there was this cultural thing. But I think this is not a popular topic today because of two, re two, two reasons. One is that there have been abuses and the second is because people just don't like to submit to authority. <laughs> don't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's me. I'm... I'm the president of that club. <laughs> Believe it or not, everybody has authorities to whom they submit. Well, everybody does. There is nobody who has no one to whom they're accountable. Even the president of the United States has people to whom he's accountable. It doesn't matter. Pick your political position or non-political. There is no one who is completely not accountable. And God works through authority. God guides and directs under, um, through authority. And you have probably um, witnessed some people you know make decisions or take actions in their life and somehow creating a context where they were trying to avoid the authority of God as they made those decisions. They've, 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 they're doing something and they, they say, this is God's will for me and I've determined this is the, the Lord's spoken to me and God's will for them doesn't happen to agree with scriptures at all. And then you watch over time what they've done unravel because God was never in it. They just wouldn't place themselves under their authority. Their authority could have been parents or godly friends or some, their, their small group, you know, somebody in their small group or maybe there are women who come to the Bible study and they've got a table leader and, and they say something and the table leader loves them enough and says, hey, you know, let's talk about that, honey, because that's really not, and off they go 
I don't have any specific examples in mind. In fact, I know the women of our Bible studies are all really, really godly. They don't have those kinds of mistakes. But the point is, you've probably seen people make these declarations. This is the Lord's will for me, and off they go, and it has nothing to do with God. And then it unravels. And um, God's will can be confirmed through God's authority channels, and the church is one of them. And um, you know, I think you should be confident that when you go to your church leaders that you can trust them um, and, and help you find the Lord's will for you if, if, um, if, it's, if it's appropriate. And I've got to tell you this. This is not a power grab on my part. I've got enough stuff in my life to be mindful of. And frankly, the scriptures warn me about do, standing right here. James 3.1 says, Don't be many teachers among you, because you're going to get held to a higher standard. It's nuts for me to do this. <laughs> it is. And for some reason, I do it. And the point, the point here is, is, is not to point you towards me. I'm not your authority. Don't call me if the Lord wants to tell you whether the Lord wants you to buy a, a washing machine or not. That's not my role. But listen, I've seen churches where that's how it worked. People felt they couldn't do anything without permission from the church. That's not what the Lord is talking about here. And so, if any among you is sick, call those in spiritual authority over you. There's a reason for that, and we're going to see the reason develop in the next couple of minutes and, and next week as we get into this even further. And, and here's the thing. When we trust God's design and authority structure, what this is talking about is completely natural. There's already this trusting relationship with people who lead you, and now you've got this situation, and it's like, okay, Help. And the people that you trust and already speak into your life and can help you with those things will pray, and they pray with, with spiritual authority. Okay, so I'm going to keep going here and, it's, and, and, and talk about this. It goes on and says, Call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I just want to take a minute and talk about the oil. Um, it's, it's, a lot, it's a misunderstood, maybe, I think in the New Testament. Anointing with oil, there are several ways to explain what's going on here. I'm going to give you three. I think the three, three, ask three questions. The first question I ask is, is this medicinal? Okay, so back when this was written, these people didn't have penicillin. They wouldn't have that for centuries. They didn't have chemotherapy. Um, you know, olive oil had its medicinal purposes. Um, it did in that day. Are the elders coming kind of like a combination of prayers and doctors? The answer to that's no for a variety of reasons, and I, we could go into that, but not the least of which is, is that um, anointing with oil is typically an anointing upon the head. So I broke my ankle, you put oil on my head, I'm not sure there's a medicinal, right? You see my point here, there's lots of reasons for this, but, um, and I know some people say that this, there's a medicinal uh, purpose, I kind of reject that, I don't think so. Um, I don't think the scripture is saying that, that the elders are doctors. No, I don't think so. Another question, is it figurative? Some people say, well, oil in the scriptures is, is figurative. It's representative of the Holy Spirit, and it's figurative, so you don't really do anything. You just have to understand the concept. I know God said anoint with oil, but he didn't really mean you actually physically put oil on somebody. That's what figurative means. And um, God didn't mean what he said. And the answer to that is, is it figurative? Not like that, no. No. It's symbolic. And um, there's a difference between figurative and symbolic. And symbols do matter. Symbols do matter. We don't have a lot of symbols in the church. 
But the ones that we have, they do matter. I, an obvious one is the cross. We don't worship the cross. The, the cross is a symbol of something, right? We have one in the hallway out there, and, and um, um, it's, 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 it's a symbol. Another symbol that we have, as simple as it sounds, is this, the pulpit. It's, okay, it, it does two things. The simple thing that it does, it holds up my notes and my Bible. But why is the pulpit in our church, in most Protestant churches, placed in the center? It's a suggestion, it's a symbol that, about the centrality of God's word in why we're here. A lot of churches, it's off to the side, and you know, a lot of places, the word of God plays an ancillary role. It's, it's not central. But anyway, the pulpit is not even mentioned in Scripture, and it's not one of the commanded things, but anointing with oil is a symbol, and it is one of the things that are commanded. Right there it says, and anoint with oil. And uh, you know, we do have that symbol, and it's just real simple. You use some kind of oil. There's nothing special about the oil. Um, I, frankly, have had people anoint me before with motor oil. Okay? Okay. Now, the oil that we will have at the end of the service, which we will anoint you with, is not. It's some combination of perfumed oil that smells really sweet. And I, you know, I've had people say, well, this is some perfumes that came from the middle. Okay, I don't know. But um, it's just a little bit of oil. And a little dab will do you. Okay? Right? It's just a little touch. It's, it's, it's not the quantity. It's not like it's got some sort of, if a little is good, then more is better. I don't know. I mean, but, but, but this word anointing is really significant. Anoint with oil. And this, it's, it, this word is used throughout Scripture. It's an actual process with actual oil. It's not figurative. It's, the oil is symbolic, but it's an actual process with actual oil. And it represents the Holy Spirit coming upon you. That's what it represents. It's talked about in the Psalms. It's described when Aaron became the high priest. There are a lot of examples in scriptures um, of anointing with oil. So it's not medicinal, it's not figurative, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the most meaningful places in scripture that explains this is, is um, in um, 1 Samuel. We're not going to go there, but Samuel is on his way to anoint David as king. Saul is out, David is in. And, and what the scripture there says, it says the whole, after he was anointed, the Holy Spirit rushed upon David and was with him from that day forward. Ooh, that's what I want. Amen. That's a good one. Okay, back to our text. Verse 13, and the prayer of faith, that phrase, prayer of faith, gets misunderstood too. And don't, don't conjure up in your mind this idea that, that this this is some mystical prayer um, that after pushing certain buttons and pulling certain levers, something magical gets released. This is not the force, okay? This is not the Jedi Knight doing his thing here. This is just this prayer full of confidence and faith in God's ability to heal. That's the prayer of faith. D James talks about this earlier in chapter one where he talks about, it, it, said, it says, let him ask in faith and have no doubt. For the one who doubts is like, um, like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. Let that man not expect he'll receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is worthless in all his ways. That's what that scripture says. That's, that's, the, the point here is, is not to be the wave that's blown back and forth by the wind, but it's don't doubt. That's the prayer of faith. 
And that's the same faith that James is talking about here in chapter five. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It's gonna deliver them, it's gonna restore them. And this is, by the way, is not talking about salvation. This word save is used con- uh, commonly in the New Testament for sickness. And then catch this, I, I pay attention to the tense, you should too. The word will, past, present, or future. Future, yeah, it's not a trick question. I'm not going to try and embarrass anybody. That's will. So we don't know when it's going to be. We don't know. Will it be before the elders leave the house? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Will it be before they get back home? I don't know, maybe, maybe. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that God will honor the prayer. We do know that God is going to honor that, that there is going to be a result from that prayer. And the Lord will raise him up. Notice, not the prayer, not the oil, but the Lord. And then we get this funny, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And I read that, and I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. Did we just change tops, what's going on here? If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. What's the context of sickness? What's, wh- wh- why is this sins mixed into this being healed from sickness? Okay, so just to be really clear, I want to make a statement. I want you all to catch this. All sickness is not from sin. Everybody say not. Not, not all sickness is from sin. Well, then why? Okay, here are some biblical purposes that you see for sin. Some biblical examples of sin. Number one, glorify God. You see this when the disciples are, are together and they're talking about this blind man in John chapter 9. He said, and, and scripture says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The glory of God. Some of our emotional sicknesses Some of our physical sicknesses is an opportunity for us to display the awesome works of God. Second reason is it teaches humility. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about this for himself. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He says this over and over again. You know, he's basically saying, So I don't think I'm too big a deal. You know, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. I have many leather-bound volumes. <laughs> Some of you know that came from a movie. I'm not... Pre- 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 but he was a big deal. Paul <laughs> was a big deal. And he's going, listen, I've got to stay humble. I've got this thorn. It helps me to remember I'm flesh, and I'm, I need to be humbled. Another reason, number three, would be to refine character. And um, Job is this great example of that. And here's what he says. You know the story of Job. I won't go there, but he says, but he knows the way that, but God knows the way that I take. When God has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And then down to um, the bottom of this list, um, there might be more, but number four, sometimes sickness is because of sin. Maybe you're not aware of this, but 1 Corinthians 11 talks about partaking in the Lord's table incorrectly or when you're not in an unworthy manner. And that, that passage warns us, it says this, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. So some sickness is because of sin. And I have to say that when, when the Lord's table happens, that's, that's, that, that needs to be as serious as serious gets. It's, it's, it's not that we would somehow pass it by as we you know, self-flagellate, you know, whip ourselves, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not talking about that. The table is about us truly repenting and confessing for our sins to the Lord. And then to delight in the grace that those elements represent. It's meant to be a celebration, but it's not meant to be a religious act. Don't ever let it be a religious act. You still with me? Okay, we're about done here, and what I'm, the reason we're about done and we're done early is because we're going to take a couple of minutes and offer prayer. And I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but I hope the Holy Spirit makes many people feel uncomfortable unless they get prayed over. So anyway, um, still with me. Four points about healing. One, one, catch, catch this. God does not make us sick or give disease. The only exception I can find anywhere in Scripture is as a consequence of sin, and we just read about that. The, effect, the effects of sin are, are wrecking themselves upon creation randomly. Some of us, you know, this, this, um, this whole, the whole idea of a cursed earth and um, what's happened since what happened in the garden and who's had authority on the earth since then, sickness is present that otherwise would not have been. And sometimes it lands upon us. It has nothing to do with sin that you, that you caused, but it's just the fact that you're part of a sinful creation now. And it just, it's just random. Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? It, it does. That was Jesus. Okay, second, second reason for, for second thing about healing. God does use every hardship we face for good. It may have nothing to do with anything that you've started or caused. Still, if you're in that hardship, he's going to use it for your good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes, right? So it will work out. It will work out. Number three, God does heal people to bring glory to his name. I've seen that. You probably have seen it too. And then number four, this one's the hard one for us because we can become impatient. We don't know when it is that God will do the healing. We just don't know. Sometimes people get promoted to heaven instead of being healed on the earth. And I promise you this, no one who's in heaven wants to be back here. <laughs> Heaven's going to be awesome. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, um, I'm kind of at the end of my notes, and my plan was at this point and is for us to have op opportunities for prayer. And so what's going to happen in the next couple of minutes, I'm going to pray briefly. The worship team can come now and uh, prepare themselves. And... Uh, I've talked to the pastoral team. I've talked to the church staff. We also have a, a, a team of people who are regularly available for, um, thank you, Eric, um, regularly available to pray at the ends of services. And I've asked them to come prepared to pray with you. And um, I'm going to ask you to do this. To, 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 if you have need, this is your opportunity. You don't have to call the elders. We're here for you. You can call. You call by stepping forward. There's something about stepping out, too. There's something about, this is not a show, there's something about leaving your seat and, and stepping out in faith and letting the Lord go to work in your behalf. So I encourage you to um, muster up the courage to, 
to walk out, even if other people are watching, just go get some prayer. This, and, and by the way, about the prayer, share with your need or don't share. You can do what you're comfortable with. The people who pray here will know how to pray. I'll just tell you this. If you tell them what they're praying for, they'll be more on point. Okay, and I trust these people. I wouldn't let them come and pray with you. They're going to have oil, and if, you will, if you're okay with it, they will anoint you with oil. Okay, it will be as simple as that. So um, I'm going to pray right now, and I would like the, the leaders to, um, during the prayer, get to a place, and they're not going to all be in front. They'll be in the corners or wherever. Lisa and I will go over in the corner or something, and we'll be available too. And um, I just encourage you, if any among you is sick, if any among you is suffering, call upon the elders and let them pray. Lord, um, I pray that you would just make this an awesome time of prayer for us. An awesome time, Lord. You said, Jesus, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Let this place be a house of prayer today. Every day, but let it happen today, Lord. Let this be a place of people calling upon your holy name. Bring, bring, bring you know, Lord, bring humility to us as you build our faith. Let your children come and cry out to you, Lord. Let them call upon your name. Thank you, God, for the things you have promised. And, and what you have promised, you will answer. We seek after you, Lord. We seek after your will. We seek after it, Lord, in your timing. So, God, let there be emotional healing and physical healing and spiritual healing and financial healing and relational healing. All of that, Lord, let that happen in Jesus' name. We pray. Go ahead and come forward for prayer now, loved ones.